Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Social. I'm really excited this week to have Known Wells as my guest. He is the host of You, Me, Empathy, which is a podcast I was on a little while ago, and I really enjoy just talking to him. He's, he's a really feely guy. It's the best way to describe it. So welcome, Known. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate the feely uh, descriptor. It's true. I consider myself and all listeners of Yumi Empathy and guests, of course, like yourself, uh, feely humans. I think uh, that's an important uh, class of human uh, for me, at least. Hmm. I think it's really interesting because so many of us feel that, you know, if we are in business, oh, no, we shouldn't let feelings get into our business. Certainly, we shouldn't let empathy be part of our business, but it it really is kind of crucial, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that uh, we don't address our feelings. We We get into some dangerous territory. We get into, I mean, Addressing our feelings and, and looking inward is the journey of life. That is absolutely true. So one of the things that we are here to talk about, of course, is empathy, because that's really a focal point for you, known as well as for me. And, you know, at this time of year with the holidays, for me, it starts at around, gosh, Halloween, maybe when the anxiety starts to kick in over all of the holiday events and the things that we have to do and the pressure of the end of the year, all of that kind of piles on top of my little head. And I come and go with how well I deal with it, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. I think many of us can. This time of year is stressful and it's because of strange obligations it's because of traditions it's because of you know being around family we may not want to be around mm -hmm. um i you know i think that a thing that i've learned uh over time and i'm still learning is this time of year requires good boundaries uh yes. and and good self-care and i i think but you know, to get there, to get to those places, I find is that we do need to do the work individually to understand what those things are. They don't come easily. They're, you know, it, it requires kind of looking inward. It requires asking questions of ourselves, understanding what is good for me, you know, I think, but there is going to be that pressure, right? That pressure to give presents. You know, this year, uh, Jessica and I aren't giving presents because we bought a home, you know, and it's like, woo yeah, woohoo. Uh, but there's still this like strange pressure. Like, you know, my mom wants us to go visit her, which is great. I love my mom. But there's also like with that, this like, we'll be, we'll get gifts from people, you know, a hand, you know, a handful of gifts and it feels I think it's natural to feel like, like, oh shit, I, I should probably have gotten them something, but I don't mm -hmm. know if that's, that's, I think that's probably very human, but I don't know if it's necessary to feel that way. I guess what I'm saying is 
to go back to my first point is, is this time of year, what helps me get through it is creating those boundaries, determining what self-care is for me and to not feel bad about saying no. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of that pressure, at least a good portion of it is from that kind of level of guilt that, okay, really isn't intended for these particular holidays. Thanksgiving's all about gratitude, right? But still there's guilt involved around it. And it isn't a religious thing. It really is, to me anyway, it's about that kind of personal connection that we have with people. And some of those connections are very superficial. You know, Mm -hmm. people that we see once a year and now we're going to go and have a dinner with them and there's going to be talking and gift giving and is it the right gift and all of those things. And I don't really always do it very well getting out of the struggle of that anxiety and watching myself getting looped into that. Do you have any tips that you've learned from yourself or your guests that people could use to kind of see themselves in that cycle and stop it? (laughs) It's a really good question. And I, I relate to that experience, you know, very much. I think it is strange. You know, you hear the saying, like, you're not, you don't choose your family. Um, right. And it, it applies. And I think it's true. I think there is, in various cultures, um, weird familial traditions and obligations. But I think what I think the term you use connection is where it's at for me. I think I want to create and this is uh, for all of, you know, all year, my whole life, you know, not just around the holidays. I want to create deep connections with people because those are the connections that matter to me. Mm. I, you know, it's, it's, I want to create friendships. I want to create relationships that allow me to look inward myself, you know, creating, you know, people like yourself, Janet, or, um, the amazing people that have been on Yumi Empathy, like they, each of them are sharing their stories. They're being vulnerable. And in so doing, I'm learning about myself because they're, they're mirrors in a way. So I want to create mirrors, <laughs> mirrors <laughs> everywhere. And the, the people that may, we may see, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner or uh, an obligate, ob- obligatory, you know, uh, Christmas uh, thing, whatever, that's not happening there. And so I guess uh, to answer your question, I'm sort of blathering on. Um, Tips. I think uh, be okay with saying no. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, pick a, a handful of things during this time that make you feel good. Like I think having clear understandings of self-care routines are important. Like I'm learning that now going through a particularly anxious time in my life. Like I'm remembering, oh, I, I do need to get out. I do need to get on the trail and be in nature. I do need to have face to face time with friends. 
I do need to, you know, sh shower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think those are important. Um, what else? What else would be good in that time? I, I don't know. That's where I would start. Mm, well, that's a very good start. I think, you know, for me, it's, as you said, getting out in nature, you know, getting out with my horse, out in the world. And I think a lot of times, because there seems to be a lot of pressure at this time of year with schedules and timing and seeing people and all of those things, making that time for yourself and making it a priority and not devolving into things like, okay, I'm just going to go binge watch Netflix for the next six hours so I don't have to deal with whatever it is. Sure. Um, eating, drinking, not eating, not drinking. There's so many cycles that we can get into that are unconscious, that we right. haven't made a conscious choice in order to do those things. It's something that just kind of happens. And then we go, oh, shit, I didn't really mean to go down that path or to get lost there and, you know, eat an entire quart of Ben and Jerry's. Uh -huh. um, I think those things are unconscious. So yeah. when we're more conscious about how we engage with people, that certainly is a lot easier. Yeah. I think that's a really good distinction, conscious and unconscious. And I, I would argue that there are certainly times where the, the Netflix binge is valid, uh, but I think, you know, maybe have a majority of the conscious sort of seeking. Uh, another thing I would say is like, when we're feeling the guilt, or we're feeling maybe the shame of, oh, I'm not going to this thing, or what have you, like, ask yourself why, like, why mm -hmm. am I feeling that way? Where, where is that coming from? Like, is it coming from, you know, this, I mean, uh, most things, I mean, I, I'll just speak for me. For me, when I'm feeling like guilt, when it comes to family things, it's, that's all on me. I'm putting that all on myself, you know, yeah. and it's, it's coming from like a, you know, a history of like looking back at like my experience as a child and how that was. And like, I've just developed this thing over time and now I'm feeling guilty or shame or whatever. But I think really maybe trying to unpack that and, and understand where that's coming from. Cause if we can do that, you're usually going to get to a place where you're like, Oh, that's, that's silly. Or that's, that shouldn't uh, persuade me the way it is. You know, that shouldn't overpower me. That shouldn't keep me from the joys uh, that I should be gleaning in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we don't unpack those things. We we put them in a box and we try not to look in a box because that would take work and it might be a little painful, yeah. um, might be a little uncomfortable. And so we don't ask ourselves those questions when really, to me anyway, you know, it, it's about noticing, oh, I'm avoiding going to that party. I'm not late. I'm not just late for no reason. I'm late because I don't want to go to that party. Right. Well, why don't I want to go to that party? And what's, what's behind that? And when we start to actually recognize these behaviors that, you know, we don't, we don't recognize, if we don't recognize them, we can't do anything about it. 
totally. And, and you're right in that it is uh, painful sometimes. It is uncomfortable sometimes. But uh, we all have to go there. Um, you know, in order to really truly grow and maybe the next time make it a little easier on ourselves, we do have to get to that uncomfortable space. It's just required. It is. And as you said, you know, if you don't, um, if you don't take care of that, if you don't unpack that, it's just going to perpetuate itself and it's going to get worse every time you let it grow and grow and grow without addressing it, without taking it out and looking at it. And when you do take it out and look at it quite often, you'll go, Oh, that's all it is. Yeah. They all wound up about this and yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I have a, you know, I, I, I don't have a relationship with my father anymore, but at, at times there are fam- family events. Uh, my, you know, my brother is throwing a, a, an event or something and he's invited and, you know, my siblings have different relationships with my father and, and that's their right. And, uh, but I don't, I don't. And so in those cases, I, you know, often I will just say no. Um, uh, but often, sometimes I do have to, I do want to be there for my brother. I do want to be there for his kids. Mm-hmm. And it, there is a bit of discomfort, but I am still protecting myself. I'm still making it so the interaction is swift. <laughs> uh, there's certainly some discomfort, but I still, I, I'm still allowing myself to, to, like I've grown in that regard. Like there was a time where I couldn't step foot in a room. And I think that's okay too. It's okay to say no. But I've also learned that continuing to say no or continuing to hole away and not understanding why am I feeling this way? Why is he having this power over me? Mm-hmm. That was taken away from my time with uh, my nieces and nephews. And that's, mm-hmm. I don't want that either. So like, it's just about asking questions, being curious about our feelings and our actions and understanding what we truly want out of life. Sure. Yeah. And really digging deeper into that going, okay, what is what I'm doing right now? How is that affecting me and how is it affecting others? Mm-hmm. And how do I really want to represent here? Um, you know, and, and making those calls and, and they certainly are different in every single case. You know, you can't really do a blanket. Uh, you can, you can use a blanket as an excuse, but um, being able to look at the individual issues is a lot easier than taking them all at once. Oh, totally. And, you know, uh, it may sound that I, like I have everything together, but I don't. Like I, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant work in progress and I'm always fumbling and stumbling and fucking up and that's okay too. Yeah. Um, that's part of, that's part of the journey. Well, they, you know, they, they call it failing forward in the tech industry, but you know, it really is that if we don't fail, it, we're not learning. It's, that's what, that's how we learn things. We learn not to pick up the hot pan off the stove with our bare hand because we burn ourselves or we get hot or somebody screams at us one or the other. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. 
but you know, it's, that's a, that's part of the learning and growing experience as a human. 100%. So how can we help people who are in maybe our circle of friends or in our family and they're so locked up with anxiety about dealing with some kind of a holiday situation and family situations seem to be at the top of the pile. Um, you know, those of us who are introverts, I, I would much prefer to be in my cave or dealing with like one or a couple of people at a time. Large events um, can be very stressful at the holidays for a lot of people. So oh, what yeah. can we do to help someone who we know and we want to support who's looking a little freaked out? Yeah, I think going in for, going into a situation like that for the right reasons, like having understanding why you're going like, and, and what you're getting out of it. Uh, other things that help me are uh, like visualization. You know, think about how, I mean, obviously you can't project, predict the future, but like what helps me, it's, I used to be a soccer player and what would help me as an anxious person before I'd go out uh, for a, a match, I'd visualize how the match would go, mm-hmm. how the game would go. I'd, I'd visualize how I played. Uh, I'd picture myself on the field passing and dribbling and all that stuff. And that, that calmed my mind because I'm like thinking about what I'm getting myself into. And the same applies for parties and things like that. I do the same. I'm like visualizing how it's going to go. Another thing that helps me is to have an out and, and have a pre-planned out, like Mm. talk to who you're going with and say, look, um, if it all goes to shit, (laughs) we're going to, we're going to make an excuse at like after an hour or after two hours and say, we got to go, you know, and you're agreed upon that out. And uh, so that helps me. Another thing that helps me is just have a space, like go into the bathroom or, or go outside, go for a walk. Like I've done that for family events. Not all, that's not always, um, that doesn't always work, but those are a few things that, that, that help me. What, what has helped you, Janet? Well, you know, for me, it is visualization is a wonderful tool. Um, And often it's just getting a little introspective about why am I doing this? You know, if it's a family event, I'm doing it, as you said, you know, you're doing it for your brother and and his kids and just focusing on what is going to make me happy at this event. Am I going to see somebody that I want to see? Am I going to feel something that I want to feel? Um, Trying to project into that feeling of, you know, this is going to be really good. And that helps to allay the fears. And for me too, I find that naming is huge. Hmm. Oh, this is just anxiety. And not to play down anxiety by any means, but once you name it, you know, this is performance anxiety then you understand what it is. And it, I think it takes some of the power away from it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think, uh, yeah, I've heard that a, a number of times. People have mentioned that as 
as a helpful thing a number of times on on Yumi Empathy, because it allows us to, it even gives us a, an opening to learn more about what that is, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much uh, literature on social anxiety, for instance, and you know there are so many spaces of the internet <laughs> that uh, even allow us to make make us feel a little less alone in that social anxiety. Um, and that's a that's a powerful, powerful thing is feeling less alone. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of discussion about how social media actually makes people feel unworthy uh, and also makes them feel alone because you know we see on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, we see all the wonderful happy holiday photos, and we assume that people live their lives like that which is completely untrue because no one could be that happy all the time. (laughs) So, you know, it's um, sometimes we get really obsessed and even competitive about that where, you know, we expect that from what could just be a really nice evening. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually talking about this particular thing with someone the other day, just the, the comparing the presumption of, uh, perfection, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. But that's just, I mean, of course, the reality is that these people are struggling too. um, And we don't know where they're coming from. I think what helps me in in when I start to go down the road of comparing or, you know, just feeling like annoyed by whatever on the internet is to, to remind myself that we're all just humans trying to get by on this pale blue dot. We're all just we're all just trying to figure it out. We all have highs, we all have lows. That is life. Mm-hmm. And also just recognize what for what what helps me honestly, Janet, is recognizing that I don't have control. Mm-hmm. I think there there's so much in this world that we do not have control over. I think that may give some people anxiety, but for me personally, recognizing that I don't have control as someone who wants to control situations a lot, I think we all probably do. Mm -hmm. I think recognizing that like, oh, I don't have control over what this person does or how they feel or how this thing will go. I can only control how I respond to it. I can only control how I react to it how I feel about it. I can only control what I am in that situation. And I think getting to that place, that's a load off. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that we do get caught up in, okay, if I'm going to go into this situation, I'm going to have to control it and who I'm going to talk to and what's going to happen. And I've, I know a particular person that I've I've been working with for a long time. And one of her challenges is that when she goes to particular events with particular groups of people, she manipulates them to protect herself. Mm. And so she's very, um, she's very directive in how she does things so that it will impact people in a certain way and they will either do something or they won't do something because of the way she's being. And she spends the whole time trying to control the event. And when I started working with her, um, she said, nobody likes me. And it took us a while 
to really come around to the point that she realized what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She had no idea that she was doing all of these things to try to feel more liked, to feel that people cared about her. But we don't care about people who, well, we do care about people who manipulate us, but we don't like to be around them so much. Right, right. Yeah, it's, insecurity is a powerful thing. It can, it can make us do a lot of uh, wild things. Um, yeah, as someone who struggles with feeling, uh, un, you know, so let me back up for a second. A little context. I, a couple of months ago, I started looking into the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that I'm a, I'm a type two, which is a helper. And I, I, and, and with a type two comes, you know, lots of empathy, warm heartedness, sincerity, friendliness, self-sacrifice, but it can all like in the sort of darker aspects of the type two's character, you become, you can become manipulative. You can like manipulate to feel uh, like you are of service. Right. And I think we all, we all have aspects of our personality that are like that, where it's maybe coming from a good place, but we're just not, it's not aligned. Right. It's just like, it's, it's gotten a little off track along the way and we need to back up and understand, okay, what Mm -hmm. am I, what am I wanting here? What am I trying to get out of this? Why am I feeling this way? All these, all these questions. I, I think, curiosity about the world and ourselves is a huge part of uh growth and and just figuring figuring this thing out yeah i i absolutely agree with that and you know when you talk about the enneagram it's always interesting to me because i'm gee i guess i'm a manipulator is that on the one of the nine (laughs) whenever i take one of these tests I'm always I doubt thinking, it's called the manipulator. There you go. When I'm when I take these tests, I'm always thinking about okay, what's this question for? And if I was going to respond this way, how would it re- affect the results? And how would it affect it if I respond this way? Mm. So I get a different one every time I read the <laughs> results. That's interesting. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, I, and that's, a, that's the, the beauty of things like this is they're not set in stone. You know, I think we all probably have varying levels in us. Like I was, I was a strong two and a four and a seven and a nine, I think. And, mm. you know, I, I think they're just tools to allow us to maybe learn why we're doing certain things, you know, um, and I think they're helpful. I think they are um, probably more helpful if you do them honestly, but, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I think, I think they are helpful because it does give you a little time to be introspective. Why did that come up? Why do they perceive me that way? And when you actually think about the questions and answer them, honestly, it can spark a lot of introspection that you can learn from. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And to see those dynamics, I think, um, you know, when I first started taking tests like that, you know, Myers-Briggs and all of those, they were designed to label us. And I think 
maybe that's why I avoid them so much because I don't want to be labeled. Thank you very much. Yeah, I relate to that. I, I, I've got my punk rock roots for sure. Like <laughs> I, I want to say fuck you to the man uh, without <laughs> <Yeah>. a doubt. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the interesting things about life and about mental health and, and just our culture is like, that's, we want to put things in boxes mm-hmm. because it's overwhelming otherwise, you know? And I think that's, that makes sense to me. It makes sense that like we look at a thing, it's overwhelming. There's all these components and we want to label because the label has these associated descriptors, right? Now, of course, like that can be useful to a point, but we also, yeah, I, 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 on the other side of it, I think it makes sense to um, challenge that a bit and understand that like, because to your point, it, that, that can be taken to dangerous, dangerous places as it has in our history, mm-hmm. putting people into boxes. Um, and so I think maybe a balance. I think it can be used as a tool for understanding ourselves, but it should not be used as a weapon. <laughs> Boxes uh, should not be used as a weapon. Check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's interesting. It is because I think you know it's very easy to I I know very little about you, um, and it's very easy for me to go oh, okay, you know here here are some things that I would use to put known in a box. Um, and then you come out of the blue and go, yeah, I've got my punk rock history. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting facet. Let's follow that for a while. <laughs> and then you get to really explore who someone is, but you have to ask questions first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. now I want to hear about that. <laughs> you want to hear about my punk rock roots? I do. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, when I say that, I mean that I've... I had a pretty rebellious adolescence. <laughs> mm. uh, I did a lot of uh, illegal things, I will say, um, and, and things that I'm not proud of. Uh, but with that, I think it was a, um, a reaction to my father, who was very overbearing, was very violent, physically, emotionally. He's very manipulative. He's a, Mm -hmm. he's a narcissist without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, my one, once I was able to, you know, I learned to just be very sensitive or I am very sensitive. I learned to hide my heart and protect my heart. And Mm -hmm. once I was able to like open it up a little bit, it sort of transformed and then into this like, fuck you, you know, sort of mentality. And like, I am going to go the opposite of what you want me to be, which is like a businessman. You know, I remember telling my father, um, or he had said we were arguing or something. And he had said, why don't you just go work at McDonald's? And I said, maybe I will. He he was so pissed. (laughs) He was so pissed because he wanted me to be, you know, I don't know, businessman, whatever. But but that stemmed into just into it maybe some more healthy aspects of of that, which is I 
you know, basically lived out of my car for a couple of years and drove around the country. I've been to all but like four states, slept out under the stars for a, a while, uh, you know, worked on a commercial salmon fishing boat, you know, just did a bunch of adventures because I was, I, like, even in school, I was not, the structure of school was very hard for me, mm-hmm. even in college. Like, I did not, like, I did okay in school, but I, I, I felt like a black sheep. <laughs> um, I know that that term can be used as a very, like, self-flagellating way but it's not like I just felt I felt like an outcast I felt weird I felt like I didn't I didn't understand what was going on I had perspectives that no one else were jiving with and and I've been that way um my whole life and I think it's led to a lot of joy and a lot of uh unique experiences but it's also you know it could also make you feel lonely and it can also breed depression and and these things that I do have and anorexia which I had and all these things so um yeah I mean I listen to a lot of punk rock music I still do because I I love it um I don't know there's something about it that uh that I appreciate I, I think that our systems cultural systems social systems corporate systems certainly need to be taken down a peg or two. They need to be challenged. They need to be looked at uh, with curiosity and with a critical lens. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I've had corporate jobs where I, I hated, I hated them. You know, I, they were the worst. And, and, and because of those systems, because of these rules that told me I need to, you know, act a certain way and be a certain way and wear a stupid piece of cloth on my neck, you know, all these <laughs> silly things that we do. Um, and I want to challenge those things always, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, I think it's really important that we don't stop challenging those things. Without a doubt. And it, did you go through a point where you kind of went, oh, okay, I'm going to do it for a while. And then you just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I certainly like, you know, you know, I've had so many different jobs and, and the reason for that is because I couldn't, I can only took, take it for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I basically, the job I'm in currently is the longest I've been in a, in a job. Actually, I take that back. My first real job out of college was the longest. It was, it was like four years. But other than that, it was like two years or less because, I mean, I needed money, right? Mm-hmm. So like that was the sort of motivator. I just needed money. I needed a job. But um, yeah, it didn't last. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> last long. Um, and I... I looking back on that and, and, and thinking about what that means for me, you know, I'm really grateful. I'm in the position where I'm in now and I work with a great team and we're flexible and it's like the anti-agency and it's a beautiful thing, Mm. but it took me 15 years to get there. And and that shouldn't be the case. Like these environments, corporate environments, these like there should, they should serve the individual they should not serve 
the shareholders. They should not serve the CEO. There needs to be systems in education as well that are cognizant of the nuances of the human condition. And I think we're not there yet. We're not close. I think we're getting a little closer. I agree that we are not close, but I'm starting to see a change in the way that companies treat people, that managers treat people, that leaders treat people. It's not universal by any means, but there are, there are experiences out there now that I'm hearing about, partly because things have changed. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, the goal was to get a job, preferably with a pension, and just keep doing it and figure out, you know, what it was, not that moved you, not that made you happy, but that gave you a good income to put a roof over your head and pay for your family and all of that stuff. And that you would work at it for a certain amount of years and then everything would be good. Those days have been gone since I doubt the fifties, the sixties and people are recognizing that, but they're also recognizing that they want to be satisfied at work. And we're seeing more and more that people are changing jobs more frequently because they don't want to work for this company. They don't want to work for that overbearing boss. They're taking a little more sense of agency, I think, Mm -hmm. in selecting jobs. Does that ring true for, in your experience? I, I would say that probably rings true. And I, I, I realize like I'm, I'm in a privileged position. I'm, I'm a male, I'm white. Um, you know, so I, I am coming from a place of privilege and I don't want, I don't mean to sound like cynical because I'm not, I just feel, I agree that things have gotten better. I, I do as a whole, I think things have gotten better. Um, you know, knowing, friends who are in situations uh, work-wise that are, that are great and they love. And that's, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, You know, I, I just, I think about like my younger self or people that are in, in these situations now where you have this pressure to work 10 hours or you have to stay because your boss is still at work or, there, there are things like that that still very much are prominent in uh, systems, in corporate systems and work, workplaces that I, um, I don't know, have the answers. Certainly not, but I want to rail against and I want to, I want to talk about. And like, I can't like, my current situation is fantastic. I work, I work from home. I do work that I love. It's challenging. It's creative. It's all of the above. I'm supported uh, in my personal life, um, in my work life. It's, it's, it's great. I feel very grateful. Um, and I, I, there's, I could not, if I lost my job for some reason, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I, because I, I, I have this sense that what I, the, the situation I'm in now is very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I went on a tangent there. 
Oh, that's okay. I think um, gratitude plays a big role in that too. You know, when, when you are working somewhere and you're as happy as it sounds you are, and you show that gratitude when you go to work, it makes the workplace better for everyone. Even if you're working from home, you're still connecting with people. You're still expressing that in the work that you do and the happiness with which you do your work. And that makes such a better experience for everyone, not just you, but everyone. And we just need more of that. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. It, it, it speaks to this idea, this thing that I love so much, is uh, we need to talk about how we're feeling and vulnerability. Like when we are feeling a certain way, we should let the people around us know because as you point out, Janet, it's, it's infectious. It's people want to be around. I mean, let me back up. I think it just means that we shouldn't hide that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, when I'm talking to someone, a, a guest on Yumi Empathy, I, it's all about vulnerability. And it's all about talking about the things that we're feeling. And I think in that comes, and I'm, I'm just repeating myself over and over again. <laughs> in that comes gratitude. In that comes peace. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm like bringing it all, I, I keep bringing it back to empathy and I, I feel um, weird about that now. <laughs> I feel like I'm being like salesy or something. <laughs> okay, don't. <laughs> you cannot say it enough. I, okay, okay. You cannot say it enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I had a question the other day and I, I wanted to put it to you and see what your answer might be um, from someone who was in a workplace and felt that they had been vulnerable with someone that kind of took advantage of it then, you know, and really um, they, she's, she said, I was, I was transparent and I was vulnerable about what was going on. And without going into the details, that person really turned it back on me and attacked me. And I don't know if I can open up and be vulnerable ever again. Hmm. How would you respond to that? Like if I was, if I had opened up and was met with that response? Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, I would say like, that's, that sucks. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad for that person. I, and it, it happens. I, I would say that um, you know, try again. Like I, I mean, maybe not in that particular situation, but like not everyone's gonna be open to it. And but I, I and not everyone's gonna be receptive to it or understand it. They I think but it it's not always it doesn't always mean that they're against it. Um, but it could mean that they're scared of it. They have some mm-hmm. fear. They have some insecurity. It makes them feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, and those are all valid, valid responses. But I take that situation and I would tell myself those things. I would say, okay, 
Um, maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe they're just a little scared. Maybe they just didn't know how to respond, you know, which, you know, as someone like me who has learned uh, to be like very vulnerable with like total strangers, uh, like I know that that can, uh, like people can respond to that with just confusion, like not sure what to do. So I would, I would reframe it that way. Mm-hmm. And because the worst thing to happen in that situation is for this person to feel like they cannot open up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need, as humans, we need to open up. We need to be vulnerable. Um, and so that's that's what I would tell myself. That would be my self-talk after a, an experience like that. Mm-hmm. And would you also then think, okay, how can I communicate to this person in a different way to really help them be okay with it? You know, um, I mean, if, if, for example, and without going into the details, it's hard, but for example, to say, um, you know, they respond by lashing back or telling a tale on you or something like that, and you hear it through the grapevine, well then, how do you take it from there? You you can shut down and go, oh, I'm never gonna speak to that person again, or you could badmouth them, or you could talk to them. What would yeah. you say to them? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that, um, yeah, just maybe changing your approach to how you do it. Maybe, maybe even just, you know, it's hard to say what, you know, given the, (laughs) the vagueness of this scenario, but (laughs) uh, I mean, I, I, in that situation, if there is this need to bring this situation to this other person for this person's continued, you know, maybe comfort in that, in that situation, Try again with, uh, you know, a little bit more, maybe empathy is not the right word, but like with an understanding that, I guess, I guess with an understanding that like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm blathering on because I, I have like no information here. <laughs> let me try to, let me try this again. Make something up, no one. I mean, I, I guess I would just say, like, try again, but with maybe mm. some compassion for this person's position. Think of it like that they are maybe a little uncomfortable and they weren't expecting that. And try it from that perspective. Just say, hey, look, I'm in this situation. It's bringing me discomfort or what have you. And I'd love to talk about it. Like, I may not have the words right now. Maybe the words aren't right right now, but we're not always going to have the words. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think understanding that, I think um, one uh, <laughs> to continue to bring it back to my podcast, you me empathy. Uh, <laughs> uh, my good friend Corey Stamper, who's a as an author, and she was a, a dictionary editor at Merriam-Webster for fifteen years. We talked about on the podcast, we talked about the importance of language 
and, and in that, the importance of audience. So you'd say, we have to get to a point where maybe we even have to like say uh, the same thing in a different way. Like mm -hmm. she was describing like how when she was relaying to her family what her depression was about, she had to kind of tailor it differently when she was speaking with her parents as opposed right. to someone like me. So it's, it's kind of like that situation maybe. So like think of it that way. Try to maybe understand what this person's about. Um, try to, you know, based on the reaction, where they were coming from maybe, and then try again. I don't know. It's tough. I think that's a brilliant answer, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> well, no, and I, I really want to thank you for joining me and you know, it's always a wonder to talk to you because you have such an open heart and it's really, really amazing. And I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm grateful to know you. Oh, thanks, Janet. I'm grateful to know you, friend. <laughs> tell people how they can find out more about you and especially about your podcast. What was the name of that again? Oh, you know, I can't remember. Uh, let's see. I think it's called You Me Empathy. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, people can listen to the podcast, learn more about it at youmeempathy.com. They can listen via iTunes, Stitcher, Google, all of those places. Yeah, and it's just a, it's just a place to share your feely heart, to share vulnerability and embrace empathy together. It's really about my guests' stories, really, and, and me giving safe spaces to people to, to talk about their mental health, uh, mm -hmm. which is a thing that is very important to me as someone who got to a place in my life where I was bottled up so much of my feelings and my emotions, refusing to look at them uh, and I almost died. My heart almost stopped. And so Yumi Empathy is really an antidote to that. Um, it's, it's as much for me. It's a healing thing for me, but it is, it is for the listeners and it certainly is for the guests. And I just love it. I, it's, it's my passion and January will be one year. Uh, wow. So yeah, YumiEmpathy.com is where you can go and learn more about the show and about me. Wonderful. And they can follow you on Twitter as well? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram at, at Yumi Empathy is where you go. Well, thank you so much. This, this has been really great. And I will uh, definitely add these links in my blog post when I put up the podcast so that people can follow them. Lovely. Thanks, Janet. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>